You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. And there's a uh, Neighbors and Nations Church Planning. There's a Eastside Church Slack channel. Uh, pray, is it called Pray Eastside? Pray Eastside on Slack. Pray North Africa. Pray Ecuador. I encourage you, you just sign up for those channels right now on your phone um, just to stay updated on what's going on, how we could be praying Prayer unites us as a body. Okay, um, let's dive into the text for today. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 31. All right, you'll see it on the screen. This is Jesus speaking. It was said, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except for on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let me give you a couple disclaimers before we dive into this text. Number one, this is obviously a text about divorce and remarriage. And if you're sitting here as a single person, you might be thinking as a single person, what's this got to do with me? And let me just encourage you. Number one, What it has to do with you is that you're part of a spiritual family. Maybe not a biological family uh, in terms of being married, but you're part of a spiritual family, the church. And so you learning about how to bring God's word to bear on someone else's marriage is a good thing. That's discipleship. And so just because you're single doesn't mean you don't don't know God's word. Doesn't mean you can't speak to your brothers and sisters in the spiritual family. Okay, so that's one reason. Uh, Secondly, those of you who are single, uh, you might not always be single. And so this could be a text or a sermon that can help prepare you. So keep that in mind. Second disclaimer, when we're talking about divorce and remarriage, there's probably no one in this room that isn't at least like one relationship away from divorce. So divorce can be challenging almost everyone in our experience. And I get that. This is a touchy subject. It's a, it's a sensitive subject. There's debate in Christian circles about how to interpret and apply this passage this morning. Um, there's people in this room that have been divorced that are, or maybe your parents, your brother and sister, people you care about have been divorced. People in this room that are thinking about divorce. So there's a lot of hurting people in this room due to divorce. And I just want to just give the quick disclaimer that this sermon will not be exhaustive treatment of the topic theologically of divorce and remarriage from the Bible. That would be way too intense. So if you're wanting more, please come and talk to me. I'd love to point you in the direction of some resources. Keep in mind, too, we're going to touch on this in Matthew 19 that's coming in a few months. And there's a lot more information there. But I just want to stick with the text as best I can this morning. Um, so maybe we just uh, lower our expectations a little bit in terms of all that we can cover. And we're just going to see what goodness there is from God's word because it's always good. All right. So let's pray and then let's dive in. Father, would you help me? Would you help me say what needs to be said? Would you help me to see? Um, would you help me to have the fruit of the spirit as I speak? 
And may you give us all a, a posture of wanting to receive from you, God. You're so good to give us your word. May we see it as good for your glory and our joy. Amen. Okay, let's look at it again. Verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So first thing I want you to see, in the, in the immediate context... If you can imagine yourself being there, if you imagine yourself hearing Jesus say this for the first time, the first thing you would note is his words, and his words show us that he is focused on men right here. See it? Whoever divorces his wife. He doesn't say whoever divorces his wife or his husband or her husband. Uh, Verse 32, but I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife. So I don't know who was actually there. I can imagine men and women were there. But at least in these two verses, we see that his target audience is men. Now, he's not a chauvinist. I'm going to show you that in a little bit, why that's the case. But I just want you to see that. Like, his target audience is men, okay? Second thing I want you to see is that you can see again, like has been the theme in the last few weeks, Jesus is making a distinct contrast, Okay? He's making a distinct contrast between what people have heard and how they've been taught and how Jesus wants to comment on that. What people have heard and what they've been taught, Jewish people, Jewish culture, 2,000 years ago, Middle East, people that know the Old Testament, what they've heard, what they've been taught, and how Jesus wants to comment on that. So what's that got to do with this? We have to know a little bit of background. Okay? The background is this. Deuteronomy chapter 24, there's Old Testament law talking about boundaries for divorce and how that's supposed to go down. And there was a law that said that if a man wanted to divorce his wife, he had to give her a certificate of divorce. And that's what Jesus is quoting here in verse 32. Now, culturally speaking, this was actually a form of protection for the woman, this certificate of divorce. Because it's really important to remember that in the ancient world, it's still the case today, but even more so maybe in the ancient world, women had much fewer rights. They were much more vulnerable. Now, certainly women today are very vulnerable in certain places, in certain situations, um, in distinction from men. But back then, it might have even been worse, okay? Women were at a gross disadvantage if they didn't have a man to support them financially, protect them physically, And this Old Testament law was meant as a protection for women, a certificate of divorce. Think about it. It made it more formal. And there were laws that said that um, the certificate had to say that she had the right to remarry. So she wouldn't be at such a gross disadvantage. And there were certain rules and regulations that had to be followed. And there had to be witnesses. So this is is more of a formal procedure That's what the Old Testament was talking about. That's the historical context here that Jesus is speaking into. So you can kind of imagine yourself being there. This is your kind of understanding culturally of how divorce works. But to go even further in terms of the cultural historical context, there was this. There was a massive debate. There's debates today, and even more so maybe back then, for religious Jewish people that knew and loved the Old Testament, there was a debate on when exactly was it right for a man to divorce his wife. 
and there were divisions, deep divisions, like right and left, like we see in our world today, conservative, liberal. And on the, on the, um, on the more liberal side, it was like, man, you could get divorced from your wife whenever you want. Super liberal. On the conservative side, it was no. You had rabbis that taught that no, 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 no. Uh, you only can get divorced in the case of adultery. And so this is the culture that Jesus is speaking into. Centuries of debate in the Old Testament and also in the intertestamental time. Like when, when can a man get divorced from his wife? But the reality is just simply this. We know this historically that easy divorce, no fault divorce was very, very common in Jesus' day and age. This is the world in which he's speaking this Sermon on the Mount. Verse 5, 31 and 32, or chapter 5, 31 and 32. So debate culturally swirling around. Easy divorce, very common. Women at times being victimized by men who just toss them aside for any reason. And Jesus speaks into this context and he says this. It was also said... Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So it's like Jesus is saying, I know that you know what has been said about divorce in your culture and how it's usually done, but here's, Jesus says, here's what I want you to know. This is God's heart for you. That's what Jesus is saying here. This is what I'm saying to you. And we can see clearly in verse 32 that he's not all about a culture of easy divorce. He deals a bit of a death blow to just willy-nilly get divorced whenever you want. My feelings have changed. I've fallen out of love. This person's not meeting my needs anymore. Jesus just says, divorce shouldn't happen, except in one case. And we'll get into that in a second. But this is just the first thing I want you to see and feel from this text. Jesus is confronting a culture back then, and I think confronting today, a culture of easy divorce, of no-fault divorce. And I know this steps on a lot of toes. Barely anyone in this room has not been touched in some way by divorce. But let's just hang in there for, for, for a bit with Jesus. Let's just hang in with Jesus for a second. He's saying in Mark chapter 10 that this was not the intention. This is not the intention from the beginning. Like divorce goes against the grain of, of, the, of the grain of God's created order. And, and, and divorce just takes a right angle on that and just goes against the grain. This is what he says. He's quoting the Old Testament here in Mark chapter 10. Jesus says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one. So they are no longer two but one. And then here's the implication. See the therefore. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Think about that for a second. God is the active party in the joining. You see that? He doesn't say what you've brought together, what you've joined together. No, this is God bringing something together. 
And if God himself, in all of his perfection, brings something together, biblical logic would say that's a good thing, right? So why would humans come and comment on that and say, nah, God, what you join together, we'll separate it. We know better. If you think about it, slow down and think about it, man, that's pretty, that's pretty intense. That's pretty intense. That's a pretty audacious claim that we can look at what God has done and just say, no, God, we know better. So this is the first thing that Jesus wants this original audience to see. That God's heart and design for humans that get married is that if you're going to get married, divorce is never something that we enter into lightly. And there's one exception to this, and it's in verse 32. The exception is adultery. Now, we would say, if we're thinking more broadly about uh, divorce and remarriage, the Bible talks also about the issue of abandonment as another reason to um, enter into a legitimate divorce. Now, we're not going to talk about abandonment today. That's another sermon, another day. Today, because the text just focuses on adultery, that's what we're going to focus on. So Jesus says that this is a form of sin that so maybe so fractures the marriage relationship that it might render it permissible to pursue divorce. And tragically in our world, that happens, right? We all know that. Happened in his world, happens in our world. Tragically, the best course of action might be to divorce when a spouse has been unfaithful to you. Now, let's stop right here and let's ask the question. I want us to think theologically. I want us to think biblically. Why would that be the case? Why would it be the case that marital unfaithfulness, that adultery would be the exception? This is really important for us to reflect on. What is it about adultery that makes divorce, divorce permissible? Well, to, to think about that, we have to kind of engage a broader understanding of sex and marriage in in the Bible. And let, let's just do that for a second. I want to do just a brief excursus because that really connects to this text. I think it's very important for us to think about. Now, the Bible says that a husband and wife are one flesh, what God has joined together, right? And this one fleshness is symbolic, right? Kim and I don't walk around like physically touching, although as much as I would like that, um, all, all, all the time, right? Like, we don't, we are distinct physical bodies. That's very clear, right? We hold hands sometimes, you know. Um, but, but here's the, the thing that I really want you to feel is that spiritually speaking, even though it's not always physical, God says, spiritually speaking, you guys are one. You guys are one. Not two, you're one. Okay? So even though a husband and wife don't experience a feeling of oneness constantly in their physical bodies, except when they engage in sex. In this way, God says, even though it's not an all-the-time thing, it's all the time spiritually, right? And the sexual relationship that you have is a symbol that points, it's a physical symbol that points to a greater spiritual reality, right? The physical reminds you, it, that's temporary, reminds you of what's always true. Does that make sense? In a spiritual sense. 
It's a physical symbol of a greater spiritual reality. It's an, uh, the marriage bed is an acting out of what God says is true. You are one. You are one. I've joined you together. The two become one. It's a way of enacting and living out who God has declared you already to be. This is a part of your identity if you're married. God has spoken this over the first marriage, and he speaks it over every other Christian marriage. You're not two anymore. You're one. And your sexual relationship is a sign and a symbol that points to that greater spiritual reality. You with me? So when a husband and wife have sex, it's a way to communicate back to God. God, by faith, we believe your word. And we're wanting to live in light of your word. We're wanting to enact your word, who you say that we are. We believe that. We take joy in that. We celebrate that. So it, it helps to instill your identity to be made one. Now, you can think about, there's a lot of other uh, illustrations we could use. The one that I love is just baptism. Baptism is a physical sign of a spiritual reality. So when you become a Christian, God says to you, you are clean. Your sins are washed away. When you become a Christian, God says to you, you are you pass through the waters of judgment because Christ passed through those waters for you and now you're united to him by faith. And so what's true of him is now true of you. Christ lives in me. I'm in him and he is in me. Buried with him in his death and raised to walk in newness of life. So that's why we actually get the big horse trough out here and fill it with water so we can physically dunk you all the way under. So that's a physical reminder of, man, I've passed from dead to, dead to, deadness to life. Like, if you hold me under here, I'm going to die, but I'm not going to stay down here. I'm going to be raised to new life. That symbol points to a spiritual reality. It's an enacting who God says you already are. And that's really important. So in the same way, sex between a husband and wife in marriage is a powerful symbol and physical activity that reminds us who we are. We're not two, we're one, because God says that we're one. Now, it goes even deeper. So in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul's talking about marriage. And he says that husbands are supposed to model Christ, and wives are supposed to model the church. And the Bible says that Christ is deeply United as one with his people through the power of his spirit living in us. So it's not just me and Jesus, it's us and Jesus. We all have the Holy Spirit, and his Holy Spirit is living in us as a spiritual family, and we're united. Christ is united to his church. Christ laid down his life for his church. Christ was raised from the dead to save his people in the church. He's united to them. That unity is deep, it's profound. And so your enacting of the sexual relationship in marriage is just another reminder of that oneness that Christ has with his people. It's a symbol. Again, it's another symbol of a spiritual reality. So, like, think about it like this. It's easy for some people in our culture to just look at Christians and, 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 a, and an understanding of sex and go, and you guys are, are you guys just prudes? I mean, it's just sex. Like, what's the big deal? And we would say, no, it's, just, it's never just sex. It's never just bodies. It's never just doing what feels good. Like sex has a profound, profound implication. 
for who we are as people, as it connects to who God says that we are, as it connects to who he is and what he's doing in the gospel as a, as a, as a picture of that as Christ in the church and husband and wife. It's a sign of God's covenant faithfulness to his people. It's a sign of covenant faithfulness from a husband to a wife. And we reenact that in, a, in the marriage bed. It's a picture of oneness that God has declared that he's joined them together and they're one. And again, like we just talked about, if God brings it together, we don't want to trifle with that. We don't want to attempt to redefine that as we see fit. Does that make sense? It's not just sex. It's cosmic in its implications and ramifications. That's not to say if you're single and you're celibate that you're junior varsity, okay? That's not what this is at all. That like the varsity team is married people, that's not what this is at all. Jesus was single. Paul was single, right? But it's just saying if you are married, you got to understand what's going on here, right? You got to understand this. So you can see why Jesus might say that this is the exception. That adultery, against that backdrop of a, kind of a biblical understanding of marriage and sex, the biblical significance of it, you can see why adultery might be a rupturing of the, of the marriage bond that might make divorce permissible. Having sex with someone who's not your spouse might be the ultimate trampling on God's design for marriage. See, what, what adultery communicates is I, I don't really view as precious this God's declaration of two becoming one. And I can rupture that, and it doesn't really matter. And then I forget all that it points to, all that it symbolizes. Like, that's a really, really serious thing. Can you feel that? So I don't know this for sure, but I think that might be why Jesus would permit divorce on these grounds. That the marriage has been so deeply betrayed that there might be no going back. It's not, it's not required. Forgiveness is always an option. But it's permissible. Now listen, I know that this land's heavy in the room right now. Adultery is part of so many of our stories. It's part of my extended family story. I mean, that was very disruptive for me. Brought a lot of pain into my life. But listen, adultery is not the unpardonable sin. If you look at how Jesus talks to sexual sinners in the New Testament, be blown away by the grace of God. Right? He says to the woman, John chapter 8, caught in adultery, go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. I do not condemn you. See, the day of repentance and forgiveness can be today. Some of you, listen, I know this. I've been around long enough. I've heard the stories. I've worked with the people. I've sat in the counseling room. Some of you are currently engaged in adultery or have engaged in adultery. And nobody knows. And it's this thousand pound weight 
of hiding. And based on the authority of God's word, I can say to you, you can ditch the backpack, come clean, feel the freedom of walking in the light. It will come with consequences in this life that are not easy, but following God in walking in the light, in confession and, and seeking forgiveness, repentance, that brings freedom. That brings freedom. The hiding, it's just a matter of time before that turns toxic. I promise you. I've seen it. The day of repentance can be today. Let me just plead with you. You don't want the future toxicity that hiding brings. Based on Ben's message last Sunday that he preached so well, so many of us are, according to Jesus, committing adultery just through lust, through the use of pornography, through taking from a man or a woman what's not ours to take. The day of repentance can be today. The day of walking in the light can be today. On the authority of God's word and why Jesus himself said he came to not Come for those that have it all together. No, he came for those that have need. He didn't come to call the righteous, but the sick. If you can confess that you're sick, Jesus says he loves to be the great physician. There's freedom to walk in the light. And listen, our church isn't perfect with this, but we're striving to be a church where that's safe. We want our culture at the vine to be one where you don't have to fear confession. If we don't have to fear it with the Lord, why should we fear it with one another? That's a great question. And we're not perfect, but we want to head that direction where you can bring your junk into the light. You can bring your sin and all of the, all the mess that comes with it into the light. And God accepts you as you are. He just never leaves you there. And so we want to walk, you, walk with you in that process of not being left there. The day of repentance and forgiveness can be today. Let's return to the text. I want to show you one other thing. Jesus says that adultery is an exception. But if adultery has not happened and you still pursue divorce, what does Jesus say? Okay, he's talking to these guys. Culture of easy divorce, look at what he says. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, all right, we've talked about that. Everyone who divorces his wife makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So he's saying if you've pursued divorce and it's not sanctioned by God, it's like causing this woman that you're sending away to become an adulteress. Now, why would that be? Okay, so let's review. What's adultery again? Adultery is having sex with someone who's not your spouse. So what's Jesus getting at here? He's saying that if you divorce, he's saying men who have the authority in this ancient culture, say, guys, if you're practicing easy divorce and you're just sending her away without a, a, a rightful reason, a biblically sanctioned, sanctioned reason, and she gets remarried, which she needs to, or she'll be really vulnerable, but that marriage, that remarriage will not be legit. 
You feel that? So that marriage is not legit because you pursued it out of non-biblical reasons. If their marriage then is not legit, then their sex life is not legit, and they're essentially practicing adultery. That's what Jesus is saying. The woman and the guy that she marries. So here's the question. Who bears the responsibility for this? Jesus says to first century man that he's talking to who held all the authority and the power in that day. He's saying to the men listening who could practice no-fault divorce at any time they wanted, he's saying to them, guys, this is wrong. Use your authority to bless and not to curse. Like, don't do it. You're causing these people to sin. That's a very serious matter. You don't want to go there. You don't want to make her commit adultery or the husband that she's marrying next. There's a lot we could say there, but just, let's just focus on what Jesus is saying to these men who have the authority. He's like, guys, don't abuse your authority. That's dangerous. Causing these people to sin, very dangerous. Let me summarize. I'll give you an application and we'll be done. Number one, Jesus deals a death blow to a culture of easy divorce. Number two, divorce is permissible, though not required, when there's been adultery. Number three, man, if you're using your authority in ways that are not right, you easily cause others to sin. Well, since Jesus here is addressing men, I want to close by addressing married men at the vine, okay? Again, that doesn't render single people second-class citizens in the least. It just means that if you choose to get married, know what you're getting into. So married men, I want, I want you to continue to reflect on what you have gotten into, Okay? See, the men of Jesus' day were asking the question, so how, like, if I want to ditch my wife, how do I go about it without, like, crossing the line of sin? Like, if I, I want to walk as close as I can without sinning, and I'm kind of getting sick of my wife, so how can I get rid of her? But I don't want to sin. See how that's kind of a perverted heart? It's like, how much disobedience can I get away with without getting in trouble? Does that make sense, how that's kind of messed up? As opposed to what can I do to just expand my joy in God and my joy in marriage? What what can I get away with is always the wrong question. It shows a heart that's probably messed up. You feel that? And that's what he's speaking into. That's the culture of his day. Better question is how can I stay in this marriage with long-term joy? And so married men, I want to just speak to you about this real quick. Real quick. Ephesians chapter 5 says this, that Christ laid down his life for the church. And in marriage, the husband is to in some ways model the, uh, the role of Christ. And the wife, the, the, the wife is supposed to model the role of the church. Okay? And he says, men are called to hear this, nourish and cherish their wives just as Christ does the church. Okay? So I want you to meditate on those two words, men, married men. What does it mean for you to nourish and cherish your wife as Christ does the church? So what does it mean to nourish? To nourish something is to feed it, to make sure it's well taken care of physically. It's not emaciated. 
It's flourishing. Something that's nourished is something that's growing and healthy. So the question is, married man at the vine, how are you helping your wife to flourish spiritually, to, to be nourished and healthy spiritually? Be thinking about that. And secondly, it says to cherish as Christ cherishes the church, men are called to cherish their wives. So what does it mean to cherish something? So guys, think about something that you cherish. Is it your power tools? Is it your car? Like, is it your man cave? Like, what is it? Like, what do you cherish, man? Well, how do you treat something that you cherish? Well, you protect it. You get maybe a little riled up if it's threatened. You think about it a lot. You talk about it a lot, right? And the Bible says that that's how we're supposed to relate to our wives, right? So I want you guys, instead of thinking about like, man, if, if, I, if this woman is just wearing it out and I'm just getting sick of her, how can I get out of this marriage? Wrong question. The right question is, how can I cause this marriage to flourish? The Bible says, focus on nourishing and cherishing your wife. So how are you going to know if you're actually doing that? You're asking yourself right now, I wonder if I'm doing that. How are you going to evaluate yourself? It's not rocket science, brothers. You just got to ask her. Just ask her, right? Ladies, can, can we ask you if we're married? Is that, is that fair? Yeah, come on. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Don't be shy. Now, now listen, men, when you, I'm going to ask you, maybe when I see you in the lobby next week, this is your homework. Have you asked your wife how you can continue to nourish and cherish her and do it better? Okay? Men, I'm going to ask you. Okay? You can ask me. And so, ladies, when he asked you later today, um, don't, like, you know, like back up the truck and dump it on him. Like, because he's humbling himself, right? He's humbling himself, right? And men, don't be defensive. Don't be defensive, okay? Like, this is going to foster an environment of humility that will cause your marriage to flourish, okay? Nourish and cherish, men. Like, we, we can talk to the women. That's another sermon. But today, it's just the men because Jesus was talking to men, okay? How do you use your authority to bless and not curse? Just ask her. And then you take notes, and you put it in your Bible where you're going to see it. And you start praying about it. You start thinking about it. And slowly over time, the, the thought of, man, if this marriage goes south, how am I going to get out of it? That's not even going to be on the radar. Because you're pursuing God's way of doing things. And it's going to be a blessing. It's not going to be perfect, but it's going to be a blessing. Finally, if, again, if you're, if, you're, if you're feeling weighed down by condemnation, do not, do not leave here like that. Because adultery is part of your story or you're flirting with it or you're hiding it. Let me just say again, the day of repentance and forgiveness can be right now. And there's freedom there. That's what the Bible says. Hiding does nothing but curse. Walking in the light brings freedom. There's freedom. Pursue it. The, the, the cross and the empty tomb is the authority on which I can say that. Jesus loves you and wants you to walk in the light. As we do that and we live that out, no matter whether you're single or married, there's blessing there. All right, let's pray. Father, would you help us?
we thank you so much for uh, your word and how it enables us to see you and to see ourselves and to pursue blessing in that way. So, Lord, would you help us? We need help in all these things. Uh, Would you cause single people to flourish? Would you cause married people to flourish? May we all cherish your word uh, and cherish one another. In Jesus' name, amen.